Be honest with yourself guys. How many times have you heard the song Supermax since Sunday afternoon ended? For me it's been around 10, 12 or times, maybe it'll be a little bit more as the night progresses later on, but that has been the case on Sunday. What a weekend and Max Verstappen right finally has done it. He's shaken off all the pressure becoming the first Dutch driver to win a home race here at Zandvoort. But there was so much to talk about it was made so much special by the fans themselves 70,000 odd of them coming to the circuit just queuing up a sea of orange right there but still even though we saw this amazing sight even though we probably saw I think the best fan base sight uh, I think for the last 20 odd years in formula 1 we still have to ask one major question that everyone's discussing and all of this will be done on this episode of the inside line f1 podcast and pitch the podium so we discuss on this episode was zanvo truly a super success or was it just boring as many people tend to think on twitter secondly have mercedes simply become second best right here and could they have done anything different third we discussed the act of defiance from valtteri bottas and that was something rather interesting fourth more on sergio perez was he genuinely our driver of the day a word on ferrari and of course pierre gasly and all that's happening in the midfield and finally meanwhile while we discuss all these points we will also answer all the questions and there's some really good ones up here that you sent through us through social media so let's get into the dutch gp review on the inside line f1 podcast and pitch the podium Well hello there folks what a weekend welcome to the inside line f1 podcast and pitch the podium my name is somal arora you might know me from the driving force on disney plus hotstar joined by kunal shah the former marketing head of the force india f1 team and kunal first thoughts first words simply it just has to be super max you can't go with anything else right what a dominant performance and that too with a hampered drs wing i mean hampered drs system basically in qualifying and he still out qualified lewis hamilton who gave his best and then putting in the shift on sunday i just can't believe what's happening here you know somil i must say that max verstappen was in to win at Sanford you mentioned yeah. the DRS wing you know and he said maybe he switched it on to early on his pole lap or maybe there was an issue with that particular activation on his pole lap he also had this issue to through turn 3 that he said you know where he was shifting and suddenly went from 4th to 6th instead of going 4th to 5th so despite that he caught pole he had a great start he covered off lewis and you know there was a sense of calmness in his drive despite you know 70,000 people in the uh, in the stadium or at the track and you know millions otherwise in their homes cheering on their local lad and he drove a mature drive he he drove a measured drive uh, he was faultless literally speaking and i think the 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 sweetness of the pill here was in the fact that he retook the lead in the drivers championship from yeah. lewis hamilton by winning at home in front of the orange army and i know the orange army is just the english equivalent of all the other army colors that we say uh, you know a dear listener from the uh, from the netherlands has pointed that out but yes somil super max every single way just just what the sport needed you know the the rivalry to sort of get the momentum going on max's side so you know the title battle continues for one more race and just for a second right and and that canal of course was pointing out to jerome who is a very avid listener on youtube and jerome thank you so much for following us on mate but what what we mean to say right here is there is just no disrespect to the dutch max verstappen fans there's just 
admiration, the sights, the sounds, the orange flares. At the start, the drivers were almost blinded and that was just something amazing to see. I don't think Formula 1 has had such great fan engagement on the circuit ever, to be honest with you. This was just like a football game multiplied by three or four times. That was just awesome. But uh, Kunal, let's just ask the big question, right? Was Zandvoort genuinely a success? Because honestly, right, so many people on Twitter have come up and said, yeah, this is just what, uh, Dutch Monaco, this is a dull circuit, this is just too tight, too twisty, and nobody can overtake here. Sergio Perez proved us wrong. He, he made many overtakes. And that was still, I think, not the only thing that made the race exciting. Zandvoort well, just has to be a bit of a success. What do you reckon? So I'm going to split the answer into two. First is the sporting aspect of it. You know, what the, the on-track spectacle was, how the race went on and so on. And the second being the event management aspect of it. The sporting aspect, Samil, was a little questionable, I'd say, especially if you're a new Formula One fan. You know, uh, you were constantly expecting things to happen on the strategic level, like literally on our channels on Via and Via Sport today, we ran a radio banter between Lewis and Max Verstappen and their teams and the pit wall where each driver was questioning whether they were on the right strategy, <laughs> because eventually it was a race of strategy uh rather than a race of overtakes right unless you are checo perez because he of course had the strategy and then made the overtakes like you pointed out so the sporting side of things was a little questionable and you know to add to this we were we were i, I know somil and i were betting how many red flags would we see during yeah. a race this weekend and we actually saw no yellow flag no red flag no virtual safety car and no safety car through the, the the Dutch Grand Prix, which is which is different because every other session leading up to that actually had a red flag that that had you know sort of hampered the progress. So on the sporting side of things, it was okay. The drivers loved the circuit. Lewis is you know gone on and on praising the circuit. He said he loved doing a low fuel lap and going for the fastest lap point and so on. Right. So that's that. But coming to the event management side of things, I think. Netherlands and the Dutch Grand Prix organizers and the fans have shown what a model Grand Prix circuit hosting a race should be. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was hearing in on the on the World Feed broadcast, the broadcast that actually comes to you, uh, you know, when you're tuning into a race and a lot more because you get you get more ambient sound and radio messages and so on, right? It seemed that I was in the middle of a music festival, Sommel, and cars were apparently just one of the things that were racing around. And, you know, post-qualifying, Max Verstappen, Daniel Ricciardo, and several other drivers said that it was such a joy to race in the circuit because they, through the slow corners, they could actually hear the music in car, which is very un-Formula 1 car-like, yeah. right? You don't have a music system that plays through uh, your favorite tunes, right? So... Uh, it, it just showed that when you have a real star driver and the country goes and backs the star driver, you can really create what we labeled today as Max Mania. And yeah. imagine if you have several more drivers like these, like, you know, Lewis and at Silverstone and, you know, somebody else at Monza. Of course, Ferrari, you can't get bigger than Ferrari at Monza and what the Tifosi does. But this is what formula one is this is what formula one should be as well where you know grand prix uh, are activated by the entire country yeah. and the whole emotion of being dutch was what came out this weekend 
and fun, right? Three-letter word, fun. People were having fun right here. I mean, we often tend to forget that when we're going racing, but this was just that. And you mentioned about the music, just outstanding stuff. But I think the one thing that was the most fun throughout the weekend, and you can't take it away, turn three. Uh, turn three was just, uh, I know, it's just one of those corners that gets you all fizzled up inside you. It's like watching Old Rouge for the first time. Or maybe, you know, when you go over a speed hump when you're going on a highway, it just gets the heebie-jeebies, or whatever you'd like to call it, getting in you. <laughs> those kind of corners just don't exist in Formula 1. And, and just watching them, right, for the, over the course of the first two hours, whatever happened in the race, even though it might be a stinker for most of it strategically, but just watching the cars go to turn three, oh, that, that was just quite something. Stuff that just does not let you get bored. What what a crazy weekend on the whole. But, you know, that was Zanvoort discussed. Now, let's actually do something special, right? Let's actually speak about Verstappen and the win. What have they accomplished right here? More importantly, right, let's ask the big question. Have Mercedes become second best? Have Mercedes actually missed out on something? Because there's a really interesting social media question that we've got right here from Vismay. Uh, he's asking, could the Merck strategists could have done could the Merck strategists have done anything different in this situation? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? What, what's happening right here? You know, Mercedes has already been saying that we probably made an error with Lewis Hamilton's strategy. The second pit stop, maybe they triggered it a little too early. But truth be told, Samuel. It's, of course, in hindsight. And in hindsight, even Haas can win a world championship. Okay. But in real time, they threw all the tools they had to try and beat Max Verstappen and Red Bull. And at the end of the day, there's just one reason why they actually couldn't do that. Right. And that's because the Red Bull was the quicker car. Max was, the, Max was hence the faster driver, the more calm driver. He was not doing the chasing. He was doing the leading. And that's why Mercedes had to try and do things different to try and get the undercut or the overcut to work on, 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 uh, on Max. Because the minute they would have gotten track position on Max, maybe the outcome could have been different. And that's what they were trying to do with the pit stops, try and get track position. So... Could they have done differently? Yes, in hindsight, like I said. But I think at the end of the day, Red Bull was just the class of the field. They did not put a foot wrong in pit strategy, on tire choices, all of that put together. They, they did fantastically well. And your question is, is Mercedes down to being the second best, right? I think at Sandford, yes, they were second best. But would I say that for the rest of the season? Mm. Probably not, because we have seen how finer margins have literally defined form factor, especially between the top two teams all through this season. So at the at, at the end of this Sunday, I'd say, yes, Mercedes was second best, but they did use every tool that they could to try and get the win uh, for Lewis Hamilton because he is, of course, gunning for a 100th win. And I think it would be a brilliant psychological a dent in you know Verstappen and Red Bull's mind if they actually won at Max's home territory as well. So that's that's my assessment of the whole whole Max Verstappen Red Bull and the Lewis Hamilton Mercedes battle. Samuel, simple as that, right? We just saw how Mercedes were just not there, but. They tried, and you can't take that away from them. They tried in terms of strategy. They tried in terms of the car. And Lewis Hamilton, my word, was he having a really frantic race, right? And at Zandvoort, the thing is, the circuit is so relentless. You don't get a moment of peace and calm. There's always attack, attack, attack. 
and to go out there setting those constant fastest lap times, not even aware if your strategy is the right one or not, that is just quite something. Even in qualifying, that was a pretty awesome one. And strategy-wise, Canal as well, I think just Red Bull, even though it might have been a bit of an early scare, they just sailed it all the way through. I think the hard tyres, in hindsight, of course, were the right ones to be on. Yeah, they were. And, you know, very interestingly, uh, they also did not have another set of mediums available for Max's second stop that they did, right? So it was something that uh, they were forced to do, which was take on the hard as well. But also, let's remember, the whole talk after qualifying was that Max is on his own yet again. He doesn't have a wingman. Mm. Can Pierre Gasly bring his wing wingman from P4 and the likes? And Mercedes actually used Bottas very well uh, this weekend to try and get Lewis some sort of an advantage. But Samuel, remember, this. Th there's a point, uh, you know, after which strategy just takes you that much further into a race. At the end of the day, they were just lacking pace relative to Max Verstappen and Red Bull Racing. And that's my that's my assessment, I would say. Right. So, uh, you know, they tried everything and that's that's we we got to give them full marks for that and just wait out for Mercedes's post race debrief. They'll come up with better explanation for the strategy, I'm sure. Well, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say Flavio Bilotori wouldn't say that they tried everything. They tried everything legal. Uh, <laughs> cheeky dig, yes, but uh, but to be honest, Mercedes did right. They tried very hard to make sure that Bottas was that driver who could assist Lewis, and we saw those gaps getting down as well. But again, pace that was the difference. Eventually. Everything just didn't land up for them. And as you rightly mentioned, Grinald, just, of course, the pace helping out Red Bull Racing and all, all the pieces working out well for them. But Bottas, right? That was a bit of an absurd one. Let's actually talk about Valtteri Bottas for a little bit. Remember, of course, Bottas could be uh, potentially on the way out and going to Alfa Romeo as the rumours come up. And a certain young British driver called George Russell, never heard of him, he's maybe going to be signing for Mercedes. But yes, this was weird, Kunal. Normally, Valtteri Bottas is... Again, docile to Mercedes team orders. And even this time, right, when we saw the team actually advise Bottas that, right, you shouldn't maybe go for the fastest lap, he aborted it. I mean, not, not aborted. He slowed down by a bit, but he still ended up setting a lap record. So was that an act of defiance in a way? Was it just maybe the first two sectors were so good that he just couldn't help but go out there and just post that fastest lap? What do you reckon? Is there something deeper to it? Uh, maybe, you know, he's realized he's going to go. Maybe he's never going to have a faster slap come his way or there are limited oh, options for him that. to get that. He, you know, it's just, it's, it's just these small little things give it away that the decision has been made like they've been saying. It's just going to be announced in the next couple of weeks. Maybe Mercedes will announce it just leading up to Monza and take the shine away from Ferrari. Who knows? <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I think it was it was an act of defiance, not something we've seen from Valtteri Bottas very often. And I must say, you know, although Valtteri Bottas was horribly slow, uh, he finished almost a minute down on Max Verstappen and, you know, 15 seconds more and he would have been a lap down as well because Verstappen actually lapped all drivers all the way up to Pierre Gasly, which means he the only drivers he did not lap were the drivers who finished on the podium with him right and another thing about the sporting aspect as well for some reason and it's of course the uh, it's easy to assume the reason it's probably because of the circuit characteristics drivers were actually keeping larger gaps between each other throughout the whole race rather than being close enough so when they were attacking and when they were uh, you know making an active overtaking attempt 
they were getting closer but when they were sitting for strategy reasons or tire management reasons there were larger gaps throughout the field this weekend and i remember at one point it was three to five seconds between each driver and they were just following each other in a single file at that time so that's to do with uh you know valtteri bottas imagine he would have if he would have been on the podium but a lap down that would have just been even more embarrassing somehow eerily similar to a 1980s formula 1 race again coming to zandvoort having all but three cars not being lapped uh, just just something observed about it but amazing what it was uh, we've actually got a few interesting questions on this uh, let's let's analyze it from the very core because of course that is where all the questions from social media have been like and there's some really awesome ones right here so let's attack this uh, right away there's one that i can immediately get it uh, there's one by a base and ship of course i'm not sure if a base is the right name but hey that's not the point uh, both of them are the both of them have asked the same thing was mercedes's reason for bottas's last pit stop for safety an excuse to get hamilton a pit stop was it really needed and of course ship has asked the same question just paraphrased uh honestly kunal this just uh, i mean of course formula 1 teams don't really throw excuses that badly but didn't seem like any reason for them to do that so i don't get it i think it was just to let hamilton have that space for second place so that he could go and get the fastest lap there as if he didn't have it already i, I think but. so yeah i i think so as well it was probably just that let's just go with both drivers see which one gets it uh it was also a case of giving hamilton just enough leeway should valtteri just uh, uh, you know act tough in the closing stages uh you know if he was in uh P2 and not letting Lewis go by so it was probably just that that uh, why Mercedes pitted both their drivers Sommel. Indeed there was that. Of course, we've also got uh, one more question on this matter before of course we move on to talk about the midfield. And this is a very interesting one. Give me a second I'll just find it right here. A one from Ship. Why Hamilton was saying he had a hard time passing back markers? was it really uh, this is one by shilp of course and shilp has asked a pretty good one because hamilton was coming on the radio he said okay lewis lewis said that max is getting really lucky with back markers and i think he was getting really frustrated because lewis was in a bit of a tricky situation when he came out after his first stop if i'm not wrong he came out right behind fernando alonso cost him a couple of tens here and there and maybe that's why he said that max was just getting a bit too lucky what what are your thoughts on this kunal I'm glad Max didn't return the favor on the radio by saying Lewis just got lucky he had Mercedes from 2014 you know oh, but uh, uh I know that's below the belt guys but th- actually thank you for all our Dutch listeners who are at Sandford at home for not booing Lewis Hamilton uh in the race so thank you very much but yes back to Lewis yeah it was just one of those races where Mercedes his strategy just threw him back into traffic and that's probably why you know he was saying what he was saying because Red Bull seemingly got it inch perfect at that time and i'm going to go back one point somil which is about the valtteri bottas and lewis mm-hmm. hamilton thing for once it was interesting to see both mercedes drivers battle it out on track for that one point of the fastest lap it was literally hey i can't challenge you in the drivers championship so let me try and challenge yeah. you uh, you know for the fastest lap of the race because hey i have won here twice in the masters of formula 3 whereas you've won here you know that kind of a thing because valtteri was closer to lewis uh, on single lap pace it was just during the race that he was sort of oh you know a little of the of the pace i would say and another interesting point that i noted about strategy since we were on that is it was one of those few races where lots of drivers actually used all three dry compound tires yeah. throughout 
the whole race duration sommel so the soft medium and hard is what they all put put to use in those 72 lap race that we saw yeah there's quite a fair bit on that and and a word on bottas it was unnecessary it's like when you leave your home and somebody with you asks hey mate did you forget to did you remember to turn off the lights in the bedroom and you are blank it's unnecessary you don't need to get into a squabble right that right it just gets you worried and that's what happened right uh, luckily hamilton responded to that worry and that pressure quite well but you can't respond to i mean you can't have situations like this when you're fighting for the win uh, it's it's a bit of a crazy one just a minor roadblock and a minor distraction on the way but what wasn't a minor distraction for red bull racing was sergio perez's really really bad weekend now okay i'm under, i'm going to get on the fire for this one It was objectively a bad weekend. He must have been driver of the day officially by Formula 1 and we have we will have a chat on that. But seriously, you know, qualify okay, it was a bit of an unlucky one what happened in traffic, but you can't expect to put that Red Bull back here. And remember, David Croft had a very good point on the Sky F1 broadcast. He said Sergio Perez is so good on comebacks. It's a shame he has to actually put himself there consistently. Uh, how much better would it be if he would just say somewhere like P4 or P5 when qualifying and even though the comeback was great even though he showed that passing at Zandvoort is possible that's just not the point for Sergio that, that really isn't yeah you know frankly Samuel i i applaud each time Checo Perez's comebacks he makes them look so easy so simple and so characteristic Perez you know suddenly there's a mistake and then he's back on the grid he starts from the pit lane there are some penalties and boom he's in the points and he's you know scoring points consistently but like you did i'm going to take a step back and be like why does checo perez always find himself in these situations time and again and as much as we applaud these comeback drives let's remember this is not why red bull racing have hired him right they haven't hired him uh to give them you know to give us comeback drives they've hired him to be max's rear wing man or rear gun man whatever you call it right and he's not been there in the last 3 4 5 races i would say and you know he's made these errors which are again very uncharacteristic checo perez in my view so yes he's got a contract for 2022 but we all know what it's like to have a contract with red bull racing if your name is not max verstappen so that's just mm-hmm. where it goes because comeback drives is not what dr marco has ordered for from checo perez so it's good let's enjoy them red bulls getting all those points but that's not what he's there for so that's also one of my reasons someone to not actually choose him as the driver of the day and i have two other candidates i'd say the driver that dr marco doesn't really like as much at the moment Pierre Gasly I think he did fantastic to qualify and finish P4 ahead of the Ferraris right and then the second driver is Fernando Alonso hmm. I remember you know listening to Fer- Fernando Alonso's radio and Esteban Ocon's radio where Ocon kept saying Fernando slower I can go faster I can go faster and then Fernando turned on to the radio and said I can go faster but I don't want to get too close to signs it was a clear indication he was managing his tires and what did he do with that he actually made i think it was the last or a penultimate lap overtake on carlos sainz junior mm. to take was it p6 or p5 was, i yeah. think yeah it was p yeah he, he took p6 in the race and that just goes to show the experience with which he was driving at sanford he knew he had a limited opportunity he waited for it and the minute he got it he actually made the most of it somehow 
I loved that ride when he said, "Yeah, I am driving slow. I know I'm driving slow. It's not like it is a big surprise to him. Just shows you the veteran's experience that he brings along." And signs, well, he just got past eventually. It's such a funny thing, right? For a second, we thought maybe Ocon would be the one finishing higher. I think Ocon finished somewhere on P9, P10, not even sure. But Alonso again capitalized on that there in P6. But right, uh, let's actually talk about the driver you briefly mentioned right there, who would be, of course, my pick for driver of the day as well, Pierre Gasly, and more on the midfield as well, Kunal. This is just a Pierre Gasly stunner. Of course, started in qualifying brought through in the race and he did the right job of maintaining it and and before we go on to praising Pierre Gasly which I think we will do quite a fair bit there's one really critical question Manav has asked right here Manav Sutter he's asking how does a Ferrari not find enough pace to overtake an Alfa Tauri Manav of course now what are the winners in our GP prediction competition and it's a genuine one how did they not because eventually the gap was quite huge Kunal it was and you know maybe it was just Ferrari's package that didn't work for them uh, you know Charles Leclerc actually made a comment after qualifying saying they probably made some too aggressive adjustments to their front wing and that's what cost them some pace uh, you know during the race and there are such there are some races you know where the Alpha Tauri actually just seems to be the best of the rest package uh, you know faster than McLaren faster than Ferrari uh, my apologies, folks. Some technical issues, right? Happens with the internet. Uh, Kunal, you were saying something about the Alpha Tauri in some races being very mercurial. Some races they are faster than Ferrari and McLaren. The others they're just way back down. Yeah, it's just sometimes they just suddenly end up being this best of the rest, better than Ferrari, McLaren, and that's hmm. probably what happened this weekend because Gasly was comfortably faster than both the both those uh, you know drivers uh, both those teams that you know they are competing against for the best of the rest in the championship so it was a ghastly special yet again and he scored i think he got 12 points which is his second highest score from a race uh this season and i i think i believe that's that's pretty fantastic for somebody at alpha tauri somewhere genuinely is but in the bigger picture they're in this weird slot right like gasly was in this race today just there on themselves. Good results will happen. They need some spectacular results to make something really good happen for them. Same can be said for Alfa Romeo as well. By the way, uh, we have to talk about McLaren as well in this same battle. We have to talk about Ferrari as well. Because Gasly, of course, beat both the Ferraris. But even though he did, Charles Leclerc was superb and he was optimistic at the end of the race. Because this means now, Kunal... Ferrari actually lead McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. This is huge. McLaren were team consistency. They had good results all the way through. And, of course, Manav, who I mentioned in the Prediction League competition, he predicted in that special episode we did that Ferrari will beat McLaren at the end because they've got two drivers. This time at McLaren, Landon Norris, of course, had a lovely fight back. But there they are. They've lost the lead of the Constructors' Championship in Formula 1.5 now. No, yeah, absolutely, Samuel. The, the the lead is eleven and a half points, and you and I both know why they did. They, they actually yeah. did that, or why it's half a point. In the last three races, McLaren have actually had bad form, which was this weekend, and then bad luck, which was the last two weekends, right? And uh, they have scored just seven points, whereas Ferrari has scored more than four times the number of points. So. It's uh, it's that swing that's happened. It's the consistency. It's the Lando Norris magic, which was working for McLaren. And, you know, the three races that actually didn't work, we all know what's, you know, sort of happened. Uh, you know, that's the reality of uh, 
that's the reality of uh, you know McLaren's season in 2021 and I'm sure it's biting Daniel Ricciardo more than anyone else and uh, before we sort of sign off the whole best of the rest uh, Alpha Tauri is now on 16 consecutive race wins uh, not win a streak of 16 consecutive races mm-hmm. of finishing at least one car in the points and I think that nice. is pretty phenomenal a record but you know uh, here's our friends at INOF1 asking this big question. Is Ferrari the big winner of the Dutch GP? I would say so. Uh, they, they are the ones who've got it. Alpha Tauri had a good result, but that's a good result in itself. For Ferrari, it just elevates them all the way up. And now, the next time we go racing, which is not a long time later, by the way, we go to Ferrari's home territory, Monza, the home of the T4C, home of the Ferrari. Everything just seems to be aligning in their favour. And the fact that works out well for them is that they've got two drivers. But all things considered, this does look a lot like uh, Verstappen's dip in the mid-season, right? Just bad luck coming in the middle and just things not aligning. It's not purely down to pace, I would say, all this. Yeah, and you know, you say is Ferrari the big winner of the Dutch GP? I'd say they are the medium-sized winner of the Dutch GP. The big winner has to be Max Verstappen. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, when Max Verstappen had that mid-season dip, I remember one of Christian Honor's radio messages. He said, we just need luck to come our way. And that's what's happened. You know, he was, uh, he was. I mean, when I say luck, of course, I don't mean he's winning on luck, but you need yeah. good luck to ride your talent as well. He won in Belgium, of course, got just half the points for that. He's won again uh, this weekend. And let's see what happens in Monza. It's, Again, we're going into a race not knowing which team is going to be quicker, which driver is going to be on pole, which driver is going to be, uh, you know, taking the win. The only thing we do know, guys, is that it is going to be Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton for the 14th time this season. And it's going to continue. But Vinayak has asked this final question that we will answer for today. What will the results be for the next race? Ferrari on pole, Mercedes 1-2, Red Bull dominance. Again, as Kunal rightly mentioned, right? we don't know. And the fact that we don't know makes this exciting. Hey, by the way, if you think you know, we're having a fun prediction competition coming up for Monza, though, where you can predict the pole position timing, uh, either on the Pitch the Podium page or F1 Wow, or, of course, F1 India, there. And if you do, if you are actually the winner of it, you can win this beautiful Puma bag, which I will show you sometime soon on the Pitch the Podium social media channel. So follow down below for more of that. But yes, take part and you can win if, of course, you know all that's going on. But Kunal, signing off from Zanvoort, your final thoughts. I think this weekend was just fun. It reminded us what racing is all about. And if there's one takeaway, one side that I can't forget, apart from the Orange Army, turn three. It just has to be the new satisfying corner to watch out for. Even all that we saw in F3 where people were actually going side by side there. Which has reminded me, Fernando Alonso actually made an overtake on Giovinazzi and Ocon around the outside of turn three on the first lap. Adding to another reason why he has to be one of our drivers of the day. Absolutely, and I cannot top what my summary is after what you've just said about Turn 3 and Fernando Alonso. (laughs) I think that corner should be replicated at as many circuits as we possibly can go because drivers were genuinely having a tough time around that. And don't we all love it when Formula 1 drivers are challenged, especially on track? Exactly. That's what Zandvoort was going to be all about. In the next way, the challenge is largely going to be on qualifying, draft, slipstream. We will tell you all the deal when we get to Thursday. That's when we normally record. So stay tuned right here on the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pitch the Podium. But folks, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to this episode. And you know the deal. See you on Thursday. Bye-bye, folks. Have a good one. Bye-bye.